This episode is brought to you by Visit Salt Lake. Salt Lake is the perfect place for you to begin your genealogy research or delve deeper into your family's roots. Receive free access to the world's largest genealogy database at the Family History Library. Find a hotel room under $100 and dine at affordable and delectable restaurants. Plus, ride Salt Lake's light rail tracks for free in downtown. You don't have to travel all over the world to trace your roots. Start your journey of discovery in Salt Lake, the genealogy capital of the world. For more information, go to www.visitsaltlake.com genealogy. Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. This is the October 2011 episode of the podcast, and we are celebrating Family History Month. So I've got lots of great ideas for you in today's show. First, we're going to start off with a check on the genealogy news with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Then in our top tip segment, we're going to dig into DNA with Blaine Bettinger. And specifically, we're going to talk about the advances in autosomal DNA. Then in our 101 best websites for tracing your roots, we'll explore one of the top DNA websites, the Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation, with a special guest, Dr. Hugo Perego. Then I am excited to introduce you to the newest member of the Family Tree Magazine, Carrie Scott. She's the new online community editor for Family Tree Magazine and Family Tree University. And speaking of Family Tree University, in the Crash Course segment, instructor Diana Crispin-Smith will be here to share some tips from her Land Records 101 class. That's a great course. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Stacy, publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has a fantastic deal for you just for Family History Month, which gives you a chance to win great products all month long. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy news with Diane Haddad. Okay, we're going to kick off this Family History Month episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast with the news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger herself, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. Well, Diane, being Family History Month, of course, lots of things are going on. And I know there have been a couple of new software releases and updates that you've been blogging about. Tell us about that. Well, the first one is um, Family Tree Maker 2012 has released their PC version. The Mac version will be out later this year. And I think the thing that people are most looking forward to in this release is the ability to sync their Ancestry.com tree automatically with their Family Tree Maker tree, or vice versa, actually. Well, that makes a lot of sense since Family Tree Maker is uh, owned, produced by Ancestry. I think people have been clamoring for that ability to be able to sync the two. Yeah, before this, you would have to update your tree in Family Tree Maker, and then if you wanted to share it on Ancestry.com, you wanted your trees to look the same, you would have to manually upload the tree every time. So this will be a lot um, easier for people. Oh, absolutely. And of course, they say that they're going to have a little easier to use interface. They do a lot of different tweaks along the way. So, but that really is the biggie, isn't it? Yeah. And we'll have a full review of the new version in an upcoming issue of Family Tree Magazine. Oh, great. 
Now, the other one, of course, comes out of Roots Magic. Um, this is one that I know Bruce Busby over there has been talking about a long time, mm-hmm. which is Personal Historian 2. So tell us about that. This is the software that people can use to write their family histories. So it's a great way to turn your research into something that the rest of your family, maybe who aren't genealogists the way you are, maybe will appreciate more. And um, it's a narrative story. It has a table of contents. You can have an index, all kinds of um, those enhancements. Exactly. And you were writing in your blog post that we can try this out for free if we want to, can't we? Yeah, they have a personal historian essentials. It has the core features of the software. So um, you can get a really good idea of what it's like before you buy, which of course we all appreciate. Oh, yeah. And and I like the idea that they are including these life capsules. It's kind of um, enriching the story of our ancestors, kind of showing their place in history by pulling in what was going on during those times. So that's that's really neat. Yeah. And I understand that they've got like a sale going on, what, during Family History Month in October? Yes. Um, yeah. Through October 31st. Um, it's nineteen ninety five to get the full version of Personal Historian 2. Normally it's $10 more, twenty nine ninety five. Boy, if somebody's been waiting to publish a family history, that sounds like the way to go. (laughs) It's a lot easier than facing that blank page, isn't it? We can take the data we already have. Well, as always, October is an exciting month in the world of family history. Thank you so much for keeping us up to date. You're welcome. we've been talking a bit about DNA and there's a new article coming out in the December 2011 issue of the magazine. It's by Blaine Bettinger and it's Advances in Autosomal DNA. And here to talk about it is Blaine. Hi, Blaine. Hello. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for joining us. Um, We see your name out there a lot on the World Wide Web talking about DNA. Um, Tell us real briefly a little bit about your background. Um, Well, I actually... I'm an attorney, so I have more of a, a legal background. Before uh, the law, I was uh, I did a PhD in biochemistry um, and genetics, so I, I kind of combine the science aspect and the and the law aspect in my work-related world. In my genealogy-related world, I've been doing genealogy for about 20 years now, and I've really been interested in genetic genealogy for the past seven or eight years. Wow, great. Interesting, because I imagine that there's lots of legal questions around the area of DNA, so it seems like that's the perfect uh, blend for you. And I know in your new article, you're talking about, is it's autosomal, am I saying that correctly? That's right, autosomal. Okay, autosomal tests, and using them to solve family mysteries. Um, I just want to hear do you have examples that you tell in the, in the article, or do you kind of give steps on how people can use DNA to solve family history mysteries? Well, I actually framed the discussion of autosomal tests in terms of one of my own family mysteries. Um, my great-grandmother was adopted uh, upon her birth, and there's very, very little information about who her biological parents might have been. And I don't believe even she knew who her biological parents were. And so one thing I've tried to do is to use autosomal DNA testing to try to recreate portions of her DNA in order to find matches and ultimately lead to her biological parents. Okay, so start with define autosomal for us. 
what are we what is that well everyone's familiar with uh, mitochondrial DNA testing for the most part and, and Y DNA testing mm-hmm. uh, autosomal DNA testing is all the rest of the the DNA in your cell it's it's the other chromosomes of which there's a huge amount so in the past, the, the Y-DNA test, the mitochondrial DNA test, has really ignored uh, all the rest of that DNA. And these new tests are, are taking advantage of all the information in that new DNA in order to learn more about ancestry, in order to find connections, genetic connections between people. Interesting. So we're just using portions of our DNA when we're doing these various tests, mitochondrial being the maternal line, would that be correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. Uh, Y-DNA being the male line, right, exactly. And and each one of these tests really focus on a different portion of the DNA. And that's because they each have their own characteristics. For example, the mitochondrial DNA passes down unchanged from generation to generation, for example. Um, Whereas the autosomal DNA, every generation, it's it's jumbled up. And so uh, it's not as, as clear cut is, for example, the Y-DNA, the mitochondrial DNA is. But that's where a lot of the fun comes in as well. Now, did you have um, Y testing and mitochondrial testing done for your, your mom? Or how did you get into this since she was adopted? Well, th- this was my great-grandmother. So um, there was no Y-DNA, of course. and But I did, I was able to obtain mitochondrial DNA from her daughter's son, who is still living. Okay. And so uh, I have examined her mitochondrial DNA, but unfortunately, as many people already know, it's not as useful for tracing recent ancestry because it mutates so slowly that many people in the world will have the exact same mitochondrial DNA, even though they may be related thousands of years ago. So it's not particularly useful for recent ancestry. Uh, okay, so you have to go way far back to get enough data through the generations to be able to see some of those changes. That's right, yes. Okay, so so then what did you do? Well, I, I then, um, so this is my uh, great-grandmother, of course, as I said, and she had two children, a son and a daughter. And the son had a son who was my father, and the daughter had a son. And now those are second cousins. And um, so what I've done is I've performed these, uh, I ordered these autosomal DNA tests for my father and his second cousin. And by doing that, any DNA that they share will have come from their great-grandparents, my great-grandmother who was adopted and her husband. Uh, Those are the only ancestors that they share, um, the most recent ancestors that they share. And so... By doing that, I can identify portions of their DNA that come from my adopted great-grandmother and her husband. Oh, so having the two people that you can test so that you can do the comparison and find those matches, that's the key to that then? It really is, yes. Without either of that, uh, without one or the other, I would not have been able to identify those regions nearly as easily. Well, now I won't have you tell us the complete story because everybody's going to be reading it in the December issue, but tell us, is this type of testing available to to anybody who wants to get involved? It is available, yes. Um, These tests really started coming along just a few years ago, and and they're really, uh, really coming into their own now, especially as the size of the databases grow. 
there's much more potential for people to find genetic matches in the databases. So if somebody had a similar situation, they read your article and they go, oh, gosh, that sounds like my family. Where do you suggest for them to start? Do you give some tips about that in the article or do you have some tips right now? There are a couple of companies discussed in, in, the, uh, in the article. Um, for example, 23andMe offers an autosomal test. Uh, Family Tree DNA offers an autosomal test. And the article discusses uh, some of the, the tools that each of these companies provide. So not only do they return your raw data, they also interpret it in certain different ways in order to help you further understand exactly what your DNA is, is telling you. So you might be able to arrange what some consulting with them and say, here's the question at hand. Can you help me look at this result and determine if it's answering some of those questions? They may be able to help you with that, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the other thing is don't uh, be afraid to look for help in the various – anywhere genetic genealogists are, are known to be, for example, the, the genealogy mailing lists and, and uh, resources like that, people are always willing to – offer advice on those types of mysteries and questions. It's, it's what some of them live for, so uh, uh, they're more than willing to help. Exactly. Now, before I let you go, are you out there blogging on DNA? Is there a place where we can go and see what you've been up to and what you continue to work on? I do. My blog is at thegeneticgenealogist.com, and I blog not only about strictly about genetic ancestry, but also uh, some of the other issues involved in uh, personal genomics. Finally, I have a, a quick question. You know, we, we, I look at and I talk with someone like you, and I know the amount of time and effort that you um, pour into this. Can I think one of the questions that might be in the minds of a listener right now is, okay, well, Blaine does this full time, so he knows, but could I really do a project like this or work on a question like this without having to put in 40 hours a week <laughs> or have it become a full time job? Is this something that someone can? get into, um, find some discoveries, and not have to become a complete expert on DNA. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that that the companies are doing, and ever increasingly so, is offering more and more uh, tools for interpretation. So it really, it really helps people un- further understand exactly what their DNA is telling them and what they can do with it. Um, and it doesn't require you to have a, a background in, in genetics or uh, a, a bachelor of science or anything like that. It, it really just involves reading the frequently asked questions on these websites and, and the forums. And, and it's really not as time-consuming as you might think. Um, I, I really think it's, it's available and open to anyone who, who uh, is interested in it. And it can be a lot of fun because it's a real mystery and you're kind of uncovering things. And, and like you say, you've got the frequently asked questions area of these websites, which we don't have to run out and buy three books on DNA and, and spend the next six months reading. We can just kind of go through there because that really homes in on um, the key questions that people have and the answers to, the, to those questions, correct? That's right. That's right. And, and they're constantly being updated because the companies are receiving these questions over and over again and they recognize that there's a need for interpretation or help and so they'll constantly be updating their 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 frequently asked questions so it's a great it's a terrific resource well fantastic you certainly are a terrific resource i've enjoyed following you over the years and blaine's article is called more power to you it's in the december 2011 issue of family tree magazine and hey blaine great to talk to you thank you so much for being on the show well thank you very much for having me it's very nice to speak to you as well 
Well, as you heard in the previous interview, DNA offers family historians some exciting options. So in our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to profile the Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation website to learn more about those options. My special guest is Dr. Hugo Perego, the Director of Operations and a Senior Researcher at the nonprofit Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation on the web at smgf.org and a scientific consultant for GeneTree.com. He is also an adjunct faculty with the Department of Biology at the Salt Lake Community College. Hugo earned a BS and an MS in Health Sciences at Brigham Young University and a PhD in Genetic and Biomolecular Sciences at the University of Pavia, Italy. In his nearly 11 years with SMGF, Hugo has supervised the worldwide collection of more than 110,000 DNA samples and corresponding genealogical records, and he's contributed to numerous lectures and publications on DNA and its application to population genetics, forensics, genealogy, ancestry, and history. Welcome to the show, Hugo. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I think most of us have at some point heard about Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation, but not everybody has really had a chance to to get the, the overview, to really understand what the organization is about and maybe how it affects them as a genealogist. Can you kind of just give us a brief overview of SMGF? Yes, very good. Um, the the Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation was established about 11 years ago and uh, is a philanthropic uh, effort, uh, is a division of uh, James Levoy Sorensen, who was a wealthy individual here in Utah, um, made his fortune through real estate and medical device inventions. And uh, in his later years on his life, uh, he became quite interested in his personal genealogy, but also how new technology could be applied so that other people could take advantage of that. And, uh, and so basically the foundation started as uh, Mr. Sonnenson's ideal and vision to link people together using both genealogical information as well as the DNA that we all share because we share common ancestors. And so he put a, a good part of his fortune available and uh, he enlisted the help of Dr. Scott Woodward, who was uh, a professor of, uh, bio of molecular biology at Brigham Young University at that time and an expert in um, studying both ancient and modern DNA to link people. And then uh, at the same time, I was, hired, I was hired to go around the world and find volunteers to donate DNA samples together with a copy of their pedigree chart. That information, so the resources by Mr. Sorenson, the science provided through Dr. Woodward and the samples I was bringing in, uh, resulted in uh, the largest database currently available to genealogists uh, is the largest database uh, when you when you look at it not only at the number of DNA samples you find in it, but at the amount of genealogical data that is linked to these DNA samples. We have over nine million genealogical records uh, linked to these genetic profiles. So it's a tremendous resource. It's free. It's available at smgf.org. Anyone that has been tested with their DNA can use it now and find these common connections 
that uh, um, allow people to link to other people pedigree charts family trees or to learn something about themselves that they didn't know before yeah it's such an amazing resource uh, it's amazing to me that it that it's free it's it's a wonderful uh outreach Tell us, you know, if we're a genealogist and we have run our DNA, we've had it done through a testing service, how do we then go to the website and get involved? What do we do first? Okay, so the website has two subsets of data that people can query. Um, The first one is the Y chromosome component, which uh, contains genetic profiles that uh, we inherit along the paternal line. So it's a tool to help us trace paternal ancestry, or uh, in other words, to follow the surname lines um, of our family. And the other subset of the database is the mitochondrial DNA, which follows the maternal line. So an individual, first of all, an individual needs to decide which test is going to have done. And uh, when they go to a genetic company and be tested, they have either the Y chromosome or the mitochondrial DNA profile established. Then they can take those values to the SMGF database and um, do a query there. If they find some significant matches, some close matches, pedigree information is made available to them as well. Now, um, that can be a little bit overwhelming and confusing um, to some people, especially if they it's the first time that they are experimenting with DNA as part of their genealogy research. The set of numbers, the jargon, um, how the thing works really, and, and the meaning of the results that they find can be a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that we do at, the, at SMGF is that we have created a spin-off called Gentry.com. And uh, um, it is, it, Gentry.com is basically one of the many companies out there where people can have their DNA tested so that they can query the database. But we also provide the experience that we had in uh, genetic genealogy with DNA so the individual can actually contact us and request uh, uh, consulting services where we take their DNA and uh, we look at it together. We explain to them what it means. We show them how to query the database. We show them the results. We show them what this means and how it's going to enrich their knowledge about their family history. That seems like a really big bonus because so often I've heard that from people. They say, you know, I, I've done it. I've run the DNA and I've got the results back. And I don't know what to make of it, or I don't know why it helps me. <laughs> and the very, um, very common problem yeah. among genealogists. And is that probably one of the most common questions you get? It's just, what do I do with this? Well, you know, I um, I, I do both. You see, I'm a, I'm a genetic genealogist myself, meaning uh, because I'm in the field, I, of course, have taken advantage of this technology and applied that to my own family history and genealogy research. And so I relate very well with genealogists that have this type of issues. And you're right, that is the most common question. I tell them that uh, the most expensive things in life are those things you pay for and you cannot use. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I'm a big advocate that I want people that pay for their DNA test to walk away and be happy and satisfied with that. And I guarantee you, that every single person 
has a story to tell in their genes. The problem is that uh, they have their DNA test done and they're left with this information in their hands and unless somebody come to the rescue and help them and guide them through the process, most often um, than not, they are left a little bit lost and then they become negative about it and tell others that is a waste of time or money, which is not so. And so we've spent a lot of time, we have consulting, we have uh, um, consulting services, we also have a, a live chat forum on our website, which allows uh, individuals that either are tested with us or with other companies to uh, receive the help they need so that they can understand the results they have received. We have them query the database, but we also have them understand the results. That's terrific. And and I know through my own experience that when we get our results, the numbers are just a piece of it. It's really that in combination with the trees, with the collaboration, it's, it's the whole mix. It isn't as simple as just reading a printout. So what a wonderful service to, to provide that additional follow-up. So what you're saying is if we did do our DNA and we kind of walked away a little dissatisfied, maybe go back and revisit and get some assistance from somebody who can really help us not only interpret it, but then know what the next steps are. Absolutely. And that's why we are here. That's what we do. You know, um, the, the, the SMGF website is uh, the do-it-yourself type of uh, um, scientific tool. The gene3.com website is where you go to have more of uh, an interactive experience, more the the user portal where you would go there and ask for help and and uh, talk with somebody that has experience. And also uh, through gene3.com, if you have your DNA tested done by another company, you can upload your results there so you make yourself visible. So not only now you are searching for information, but other people that are searching for similar information might find you. And, uh, and so it goes two ways. You know, there are two people now working on the same line, on the same genetic profile, on the same tree, rather than just do their work yourself. Exactly. And that's the key. Boy, I can sure see why uh, your website's made the 101 best websites list for tracing your family history. Hugo, thank you so much for helping to kind of simplify it and, and giving us the courage and the understanding on how to take the next step forward. We really appreciate you being here on the podcast. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. If I may add just one more thing oh, yes. before I leave. Um, I, I experimented that myself, but one of the things I have done is that uh, I have uh, not only have myself tested, but um, one of the things that you do when you're a genealogist, you first look at your older relatives and ask questions about your family history to them. And you do that because you know they won't be around very long. Mm-hmm. And uh, similarly, with DNA testing, you should also think a little bit outside the box and not only have the DNA test done for yourself, but also have those older relatives um, tested. And uh, each one of them represents a different line on your family tree, which is your tree, but they carry the genes that are of interest to you that you do not have. For example, if I have my maternal grandpa tested, he will provide information about his paternal line, which is different than my own because I have a paternal grandfather and a maternal grandfather. Those are two different lines. But I do not carry the genes from my maternal grandfather. So having him tested will provide some additional information. So there is a a sense of urgency 
that uh, comes also with DNA testing, which is very similar to the feeling you have when you do genealogy that you want to go after disordered relatives before that information is not, is not going to be available anymore. Oh, that's a great point. We need to think beyond just the interviews, but also get that DNA done while we have that chance and be thinking, like you say, about the people in the branches who have what we don't, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Oh, perfect. Oh, great tip. Thank you so much, Hugo. Appreciate it. Thank you, Lisa. Well, this October episode of the Family Train Magazine podcast is brought to you by Visit Salt Lake. And I am very happy to have here with me, Caitlin Eccleson, Director of Tourism Sales for Visit Salt Lake. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. So many family historians love going to Salt Lake City because it is just the place to go when we talk about family history research and, of course, the family history library. How do we go about booking a trip to Salt Lake City? Well, you know, we have sort of a one-stop shop, and that is our website. And the website that you would go to is www.visitsaltlake.com. And on that homepage, you'll find a very easy-to-use booking engine on the right-hand column. And it's actually powered by Travelocity, so it gives you many choices in terms of lodging, you know, and things that you would like to do. But it allows you to book everything you need just right right there. Oh, that's great. So going through Travelocity, that means we're getting all the hotel and air and transfers, all the kinds of things we might need to know. But I've also noticed on your website, you have lots of bloggers who are talking about things going on in the city. So if we go to uh, make the visit to do some research, there's a lot of other fun things to do, isn't there? There are, yeah. We have our our website is you know very multifunctional, and we have bloggers that are constantly writing about their experiences. We'll get which will give you some great ideas about things to do. We also have a Mobi site, so if you're accessing our website through an iPhone or a Droid or you know some sort of BlackBerry, it gives you uh, lots of deals and discounts that you can get while you're in town here. So our website is just a fun place to kind of go play around and really you know, kind of learn about Salt Lake firsthand. Well, if you've thought about making a trip to Salt Lake City to explore your family history research, be sure and check out Visit Salt Lake at visitsaltlake.com. As Caitlin said, you can do all your booking there as well as find tons of great deals and discounts and then take it with you on the road with your mobile devices. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you so much. in the last episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast that we were missing the safekeeping segment with Grace Dobush. Well, the reason for that is that Grace has moved into a new role as executive editor at How Interactive Design Magazine, which is also part of F&W Media, which is the parent company of Family Tree Magazine. So congratulations to Grace. We're going to miss her a lot around here, and I absolutely wish her the best in her exciting new role. Um, But of course, that leads me to some exciting news here at Family Tree Magazine. I would like to introduce you to the new online community editor for Family Tree Magazine and Family Tree University, and that's Carrie Scott. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Nice to be here. Great to have you on board. Very excited to um, hear that you had joined the team. We got a chance to meet in person at Roots Tech last year, and I know that you are the author of the Clue Wagon blog. Uh, Tell us a little bit, uh, before we kind of launch into what you're going to be doing at Family Tree Magazine, tell us about your background and and what you do. 
Uh, well, my background is actually in human resources management, if you can believe it. I was um, in HR for about 14 years. My most recent job was as the head of HR for a small airline. And when my airline stopped flying in 2008, um, I decided to stay home with my kids, who were then uh, one and three, and figure out what my next job was going to be. I, I had enjoyed my time in human resources, but I felt like it was time for something new. And I really wanted to um, find a way to do something in genealogy. I wasn't sure exactly what that would look like, but I've been into genealogy for almost 20 years now, and I really wanted to find a way to incorporate that into my professional life. Um, so I originally started Clue Wagon as a job hunting blog. My, my background in HR was primarily focused on recruiting and hiring people, so I was giving job hunting advice to people, and I did that for about a year and decided that I liked blogging, but I was tired of talking about job hunting. I really wanted to talk about genealogy. So I completely switched topics. I took about a month off. I completely switched topics and launched Clue Wagon, relaunched Clue Wagon as a genealogy blog in early 2010. So I've been doing that uh, ever since, almost two years now. And I learned a lot about um, HTML, about developing online content, about writing, um, all kinds of things that eventually led me to this position at Family Tree Magazine. So it ended up, I didn't know exactly where it was leading, but it ended up leading me exactly where I needed to be. Well, there must be something about a human resources background, because I have the exact same background you do, which is in HR and recruiting. <laughs> it's funny. Wow, how, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> it must have something in there about the uh, solving the, the challenges and and the problems that tends to make us genealogists as well. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I always tell people I did living people for 14 years and now I'm ready to do dead people because they're much what it easier. Is. <laughs> we were searching for living people. Absolutely. Hopefully ones that would do a job too. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so you were doing Clue Wagon. How, how lucky for all of us that it took a switch to genealogy. And I imagine that you learned an awful lot as well, as you said, like about HTML and the whole thing about the whole online presence. I mean, that is the wave of the future. And you've been out there um, grabbing it by the throat and having a wonderful time <laughs> with it on Clue Wagon. So um, I imagine that you'll be doing, as you said, the online community. And, and that has become such a big part of what goes on at Family Tree Magazine and how you know, we reach the readers and, and the genealogists out there. Um, so I, I imagine coming on board, it's just like uh, taking a fire hose and going for it, right? I mean, it's, how's it's it going? Exactly, <laughs> it's exactly like that. Um, there's a great deal to learn. And, you know, career change is an interesting experience. I The last time I was kind of a freshman who didn't know what she was doing, I was about 20 and now I'm 40. So it's a very different yeah. experience to start all over and and be um, new. You know, obviously I've had new jobs, but to be new at everything and learning the language and um, just, just a complete do-over is really exciting. There are days when I think, oh my gosh, I wish somebody would just ask me to write an employee handbook because I know how to do that. I wouldn't have to consult my notes. I wouldn't have to ask anybody. It's just something I already know how to do. But 99% of the time, I am having so much fun. I really wanted at this point in my life to learn something completely different and fresh and keep my brain um, in that freshman mode. I think that's good for you. And, you know, turning 40 is kind of a big deal. And you sort of think about what do I want to do with the next 40 years? And I want to be 
learning new things nonstop. And this has been, I can't believe the timing because this has been just a great opportunity to do that. So it has been a little bit like drinking from the fire hose because I'm learning all the new software, all the new terminology and stuff. But there are parts of it that are still familiar. The community, you know, the people that I'm working with are people who I've been hanging out with online for the past couple of years. So I already feel like uh, even though the tasks are new, the friends are our old friends. And that's been the, the best part. And it's been so much fun to be able to now start to work with people who I already know and like and have been big fans of for so long. Oh, exactly. Um, you know, it's fascinating. I'm kind of, I'm kind of jealous because uh, back <laughs> when I was in HR and I had my little kids at home, um, boy, I pl- begged and pleaded to try to work from home or have the part-time schedule or, or just do something to, to mix family and work. And here we are um, years later, and you have young ones at home, and here it's a whole new world. You're able, you actually work virtually, don't you? Tell us a little bit about that. I do. I work. I actually um, got dressed up today because I was talking to you and I wanted to feel like a grown-up. But oh, there no, are no. I saw certainly. on Facebook that you're in a... You're- be honest, you're in your old bathrobe, are you not? No, I really did, because I thought we were going to be on Skype, and I thought, well, I know Lisa, but I don't know her, like, bathrobe well, like, I can <laughs> hang out in my, <laughs> it's not even my dressy bathrobe, it's my ugly bathrobe, so there are days, you know, there are days when I come down, I started about 5 a.m., um, in fact, that's what happened today, I started about 5 a.m., um, I'm doing emails, I'm doing um, stuff on three different screens in here, and then my daughter comes down, and so she's um, she's a first grader, so she's on her computer in my office doing her work on the PBS Kids site while I'm doing my work, and then I stop because um, the second kid comes down, and so we have to get ready for daycare and the bus and stuff, so they're not actually home with me during the day because if they were, it would be hard to do stuff like this. You would hear them in the background yelling for me to change the channel or, you know, moderate a dispute or something like that. Um, But it is really great to be able to, um, like I say, start early in the morning and then stop and get them ready to go to school and then start again. And then when the bus comes at 4.15, my daughter and I go get my son and then I make dinner and stuff and then I can come back on. So I work more than eight hours, but it's not continuous. And it's such a difference from when I left the house every day and worked really the same number of hours, but it it just was so much harder logistically to get everybody where they needed to be and stuff. So I am tremendously lucky um, to be able to sit in my comfortable chair and, and do everything from home. And it's nice to, when you do get a little overloaded, to be able to, like if I work on the weekend... I can come in here and work while the kids are are doing something with daddy and then come out and take them to their next activity. And then when one's napping, I can work a little more. So it really makes the the overload periods are much easier too because you have a little bit more balance because my office is a few steps from the rest of the house. The commute is very short. Well, that fits in perfectly because it really is all about family and it's about right. the current family as well as the family we're trying to find from the past. And um, exactly. we all feel pretty lucky that, that it, it's all working out that way and that uh, you are such an integral part now of the magazine. And 
we'll just put a little teaser out there that uh, I think you're going to be hearing more from Carrie here on the show. So stay tuned. We're going to let her continue with the fire hose for a little while longer. <laughs> And get up to speed. Um, but we're already, uh, Carrie and I are already working together in terms of Family Tree University, um, which mm-hmm. you've been right on top of that from the get-go. So that's fantastic. And keeping those classes moving along. And um, Carrie, thank you so much for taking a few minutes out from getting up and running with uh, your new role and taking some time to introduce yourself here at the show. Wonderful to finally get a chance to uh, talk with you here on the show and and looking forward to working together and we'll have you back on very soon. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, since it's Family History Month, why not try your hand at a new record group? You know, land records are fascinating, and with the help of genealogist Diana Christman Smith and her and her Land Records 101 class at Family Tree University, you could be mining them for yourself and getting lots of new information in no time. So, here to tell us more about it is Diana herself. Welcome back to the show, Diana. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate you inviting me back. I enjoy it. Well, great to have you here. And, you know, land records, we have to admit it, they can be a little bit intimidating if you haven't tried your hand at them before. And and I'm sure there are folks out there listening who maybe have never kind of gotten into land records before. So tempt us by starting out and telling us about what we might find in land records and what we might learn about our ancestors. Well, one of the things I always say is follow the dirt. (laughs) Our ancestors, one of the things that that you find is when you're trying to trace your ancestors, they didn't start vital records right away in a lot of places. So in many states, they didn't start vital record recording until after 1900. So it's really hard to track them. But the first thing they did record was any land records. So if they bought land... That's going to be recorded from the very beginning of that area. So if they bought land, that's going to be on record. So that's the first place to look is in the land records. So don't let it scare you because it's worthwhile. Boy, that's a great point because, you know, buying land is a contract and it can be frustrating. We, we think of those classic vital records as being the place to go. But like you say, they're not that old. And boy, land's been around a long time. Okay, so that's, that's right. a great reason to get involved. What are we going to learn when we find land okay. records? Okay, when in, in the land records, even though in many places they didn't mention the wife, at least you're going to find out a lot about where they were, that the person was in this place at this time to sign the, the deed. Um, but there's a lot more that can be hidden in it. One of the things I always say is look at the other deeds at the time and the place to see if yours is different. The clerk who recorded the deeds was the person who was defining how it was written. And so most of the time he used a a format that was the same on every deed. So if your deed looks a little bit different, the terminology or the wording is a little bit different, that should be like a red light to you that says, why is mine different? One of the examples I use is the date in the 17, mid-1700s or even around 1760, 1770. If you see that 
all the dates are in the year of our Lord, blah, 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 blah. That's the common terminology for almost every deed. But if your deed says, in the reign of King George, such and such, that's a red flag. And that may mean that your guy was a loyalist. And that gives you something to look into. So watch out for things like that, that your deed is different from all the other ones. Now, if they're all worded that way, the clerk was probably a loyalist. But in most cases, that's not the case. In most of the, the jurisdictions, they were all in the year of our Lord, such and such, 1773. Not with the regnal date, not in the reign of the king. So when you find one that's worded that way, that guy was the loyalist. So it gives you someplace else to look. So you look for those kind of odd things that are in there. One of the other things that you're going to get from this class is the very first chapter is all terminology. In order to study deeds, you've got to know the language. So the first thing we're going to learn is we're going to study all the words that you're going to encounter in deeds that are different from terminology that you would normally use. For example, do you know what a perch is? Not unless you've looked at a deed. A perch, to me, was a fish. (laughs) (laughs) And a rod was the pole you used to catch it. (laughs) But a perch and a rod are terms that are used in a lot of deeds, even up to almost current day. And a perch and a rod are the same thing, but they're used almost interchangeably, sometimes in the same deed. And they both mean 16 and a half feet. Wow, so that could get pretty you, confusing, couldn't it? I mean, I, that, I think it's the terminology right off the bat that sometimes puts people off. But exactly. I know from taking your class, you, you kind of just lay it all out in that first lesson. And once you kind of get that under your belt, then you're good to go. Right. Yeah, that gets you through a lot after that. So the very first chapter, you learn the terminology. Then you've got a good base for everything that follows. And I I firmly believe that everything I've ever written starts out with, okay, here's the basis, here's your foundation, now we'll build. And so that's how I that's how I always do my classes. So this one is extremely built on terminology because you've got to know those measurements, you've got to know what's an aliquot part. An aliquot part is that that southeast southwest when you get to the rectangular surveys. And those are something that also scares people. Um, You have two kinds of beads, really. You have the meets and bounds that people see in the east and in the colonies. You had the uh, deeds that are written by the meets and bounds are the markers and the lines between them. And those are, that's the old English way of surveying, where they would find some piece of of something to identify a marker and say, go from this tree or this rock or this fence or this road to the next marker. And usually there was an angle and a distance and then another marker and then go this distance, this angle and another marker. And that's a meets and bounds deed. And you'll find that in in everything that was titled, in every state that was titled before the revolution. In the untitled states, at the time of the revolution, 
and parts of Ohio, um, they used a public domain survey. And those used a different survey system, a public land survey system. And that's the was also known as the rectangular survey system. And there you'll see something that may look even stranger to people. And you may see a description that says T90NR11WNESWS5. Yes. And that scares people. <laughs> but that, that really isn't so scary when you break it down because that means township 90 north, range 11 west, northeast, quarter of the southwest quarter of section five. Now there's only one other piece of information I need to be able to very specifically place exactly where that is on a map. And that is which prime meridian that is placed from or the county and state. And in most cases, it'll give me one and sometimes both of those. It'll always give me one of them, and usually it'll give me both. And that's in Blackhawk County, Iowa. With that piece of information, I can go to any map that has the sections marked, and I can specifically find that exact piece of property. And that's a 40-acre piece of property in Blackhawk County, Iowa. And I can very specifically, very easily find that piece of property. So in the class, you're really helping us decode what looks Mm -hmm. very complicated, but actually tells us an awful lot about the property really is the key. And then you you cover homestead acts as well, right? Do you get into the Bureau of Land Management? Yes, I I do a lot with the Bureau of Land Management site, uh, the Homestead Act and some of the other acts as well. And we also get into um, boundary lands and talk about boundary lands and how those were issued, and how to find them. So we talk about all kinds of land and how they were issued and how to find them. And we talk about things that you can get online, things that you have to get through other sites, and things that you need to get through NARA, through the National Archive site. It touches on all the different ways of getting to things, um, how to interpret them, and we do exercises in every class so that you get some practice in doing them. And one of the things that I always encourage with my class is using your own family as examples, so that you get some practice doing your own with every lesson. Exactly. And then they've got access to you, of course, in the message forums uh-huh. so that they can talk to yeah. you throughout the class when they have questions. That's it, right. It is a fascinating class. There's so much. You've already given us a lot of ideas and information right here and just kind of going over it. And there's so much more to learn. If you're interested in taking the Lands 101 class, I highly recommend it. I took it myself. It is a wonderful, thorough course. And I would recommend go over to FamilyTreeUniversity.com and go to the Lands 101 course. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. You'll find a video there. Diana kind of gives you an overview, a taste, and a visual look at the kinds of things you're going to be learning. And certainly you can sign up for the class there. It is running on an ongoing basis. And uh, you'll get the expertise of Diana Christman (laughs) Smith herself, which is just invaluable. Diana, thank you so much for coming back to the show you've already given us some new information that we didn't have before and certainly there's so much more to learn thank you so much thank you very much and i look forward to seeing you again soon 
Well, as we wrap up this October 2011 episode of Family Tree Magazine, of course, all about Family History Month, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, it is Family History Month, and you certainly found a fun and creative way to celebrate it pretty much every day of the month. Tell us what you've had going on. Well, I am so excited about this. Um, We always like to celebrate Family History Month here at Family Tree Magazine, and that's, I think, is our best celebration ever. It's the Family History Month Daily Deal and Giveaway. Ah, daily. Okay, we like that. (laughs) So how do people participate? Because they kind of need to check in each day, right? Absolutely. So here's how it works. Um, Each day of the month in October, we're going to be giving away a different product from shopfamilytree.com. And to enter, you'll need to go to familytreeuniversity.com slash daily hyphen deal hyphen giveaway. We'll include that URL in the show notes. Um, When you're there, you enter the drawing. But the great thing is we draw every day. We'll be announcing the winners at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And if you don't win, you can still get a really great deal on that day's prize and uh, up until the end of the day. So do you have some examples for us? Well, sure. One of the items that we used to kick off the Daily Deal and Giveaway was the Family Search Web Guide. Um, that was a series that ran in the magazine, and we sell those as digital downloads on our store. And so the first day of the uh, promotion, we gave away a copy of the Family Search Web Guides, but then we also made all of the web guides in our store $1.99 instead of $4. So you can get some really, really great deals. A lot of the um, product promotions are as much as 50% off. So snatch them up while you can. And it's just good for that day, right? So once we check in, if we see we're the winner, awesome. If not, we can hustle over there and do it by midnight that night. Exactly. Because these are such deep discounts, we aren't able to offer them the whole month. We are only doing them for one day. So if you've got a product that you have your eye on, uh, definitely keep your eye out to see if it's featured uh, as one of the daily deals. Now, once they enter at Family Tree University, um, where do they go to discover who the winner has been that day? Well, we'll be announcing the winners every day in different locations. You can check our blog on the Genealogy Insider, um, where Diane is announcing the winners. Um, Also, if you're a fan of us on Facebook or if you follow us on Twitter, we'll be announcing the winners there as well. Oh, terrific. Well, it's been so much fun to see the amazing response each month to the kits that you've put together. But to have a daily deal every day is is pretty terrific. So, well, wonderful. Well, that should definitely um, stock us up with lots of great information so that we can hopefully launch into a new year and get lots done in our family tree. Well, wonderful. Hey, happy Family History Month and um, happy wedding, Miss Allison. We are all very excited for you and big congratulations from all of us. Well, thank you. I will be thinking of everyone about these daily deals and giveaways on my honeymoon. Sure (laughs) you will. will (laughs) Definitely be hoping everyone's making great progress on their family history this month. Well, have fun creating your own marriage vital record. Thanks, I will. Thanks so much for joining me for this October 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. 
First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You will find it at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Then next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we talked about on the show. And of course, there are those daily deals where you'll have a chance to win some great prizes every day and snag some really deep discounts on Family Tree products that can do so much to help you in your family history research. If you have any questions or comments, I hope you'll email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website at genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. episode is brought to you by Visit Salt Lake. Salt Lake is the perfect place for you to begin your genealogy research or delve deeper into your family's roots. Receive free access to the world's largest genealogy database at the Family History Library. Find a hotel room under $100 and dine at affordable and delectable restaurants. Plus, ride Salt Lake's light rail tracks for free in downtown. You don't have to travel all over the world to trace your roots. Start your journey of discovery in Salt Lake, the genealogy capital of the world. For more information, go to www.visitsaltlake.com slash genealogy.